in chapter 12 this morning. Are you staying there since there's a heater next to you? You might. Uh, over to Nehemiah 12. Uh, if you remember last week, we, we learned how Nehemiah's plan to, to repopulate uh, Jerusalem, how it was going to go, the, the um, casting of lots. We, we learned how the Israelites, once they were selected, were uh, incredibly willing to submit themselves to the will of the Lord in this. <clears throat> Today we're going to learn about the the dedication of the wall. Uh, and here's how we're going to do it today. We're going to do the reading a little different than usual. We're going to read a segment of it, uh, and then I'm going to explain, here's what's going on in that segment, uh, and then we're going to do the same for the next three segments that go on after that. Uh, and then we're going to zero in and, on five areas in, in the hopes of understanding how this passage teaches us to live as, as God's people today. Uh, so let's, let's do that. Let's read the The first segment, which begins in verse 27 of Nehemiah 12. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem, from the villages of the uh, the Nedophetites, also from Beth-Gilgal and from the region of Geba and and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. The grass withers, the flower fades. (laughs) Let us pray. Abba, Father, the words we have just read are not merely history. These are words, these words are your words. They are preserved for your glory and for our benefit. And so we ask that you calm our hearts, that you'd settle our thoughts, that you would enlighten and focus our minds to learn what you have for us here in Nehemiah 12. And as we, as we now settle into the preaching of your word, I, I ask with the author of Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Amen. And so the purpose of this ceremony we've just begun to read about is made clear in the very first verse, our very first verse, verse 27, right? It's to celebrate what what God has done for them with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with joyful music. And of course, to dedicate this wall to the Lord. They want to dedicate it. And then we hear this term, dedicate, all the time. It's all around us, right? Songs on late night radio are dedicated to loved ones. Almost every building on the campus of K-State has had a dedication at some point. We speak of musicians and athletes and craftsmen, right, as being dedicated to their craft, their sport, whatever it might be. And in, in, in some churches, parents dedicate their, their newborn children. There are dedications occurring all around us, and, and yet, do you ever stop and wonder, what does that word actually mean? It means to, to set someone or something apart for a particular use. At, at the very heart, in the context here, right, it, it is to take what is already God's to begin with and to commit it to be used for God's glory, for God's purpose. It's, it's, it's giving God control, which is an odd thing to say when, when God already owns everything and when God is absolutely sovereign to begin with. But, 
You know in our own experience, right, there, there is something quite significant when, when we intentionally, when we willingly commit and give ourselves, our, our money, our stuff, wholeheartedly to the Lord. Not that it's not already His, but there's something about that commitment. And so then in the section we've read, we, we see their joyous anticipation of the dedication ceremony. They, they've gathered these these choirs of singers together. They have uh, gathered musicians, right? And they come showing up playing cymbals and, and stringed instruments that are ready to go. And, and you can imagine, right, that excitement that builds as the singers are warming up their voices, as the musicians are, are tuning their instruments, getting prepared for this time. Now, let, let's read the second section. It's beginning in, in verse 31. And and take notice here, before we do read, the voice finally changes. If you've been here for a while, right, you remember way back in, in uh, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 5, it, it suddenly switches from, from Nehemiah, I, 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 telling the story and, and into a, a third-person voice, and now we are finally switching back. It's the first time we've seen the word I since Nehemiah 7. Uh, so Nehemiah is telling the story again, and I'll, I'll tell you up front, we're going to do a little skip here when we get to the names, but uh, verse 31. And then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. And then skip almost to the end of verse 36. And Ezra, the scribe, went before them. At the fountain gate they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David. At the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north and I followed them and Half of the people on the wall above the tower of the, of the ovens to the, to the broadway, broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and, and by the gate of Yesh, Yeshanah and by the fish gate and the, and the tower of Hananel and, and the tower of Hundred to the sheep gate and, the, uh, they, they, and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. All right, Nehemiah took some of these elders up onto this wall. We're talking 40 feet. To put that in perspective, this to the very top here is, is about 50 feet, 55 feet. Uh, so about 10, 15 feet less than that. They're, they're up there. It's a pretty significant height, right? They, they divide the people into these two groups and they send one choir, you're going to go out and you're going to travel this direction and the other one is going to travel this direction with musicians and, and singers and, and people uh, celebrating a, a, as they go. And, and, and each true group traveled about two-thirds of a mile. Okay, that's not a long ways. They each go two-thirds of a mile. It's a little bigger than, if you want to put this in some sort of perspective, City Park, a square mile, right? So it's a little bigger than that kind of range that they travel. Um, and they symbolically enclose the entire city with this celebration, this worship of the Lord. And, and, and they do that before meeting back together at the guard gate. And at that point, they enter into the, the temple. Now, this brings us to our, our third section. We're going to read again, beginning in verse 40. And so both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half the officials with me. We're going to skip a bit those names, uh, all the way to the end of 42. And the singers sang with Jezariah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejo rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. And women and children also rejoice, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard from far away. They, they offer sacrifices to God, and they play their instruments, and they sing, and, and they do what they were created for. They worship God. And, and this quickly, right, brings us to the final section, uh, beginning in verse 44. Let's, we'll read all the way through that. 
On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who, who ministered, and they performed the service of their God in the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portion for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the the Levites and and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of, of Aaron. Right? What's going on here is so incredibly Nehemiah, everything we know about him, because it's, it's administration. You know, maybe the, the least interesting thing to, to many of you, right? Uh, but it's administration. that The people have committed to, to bring their money and their tithes of the harvest in and, and the past, back in, what, 1039, 1038? And, and he sets up this system for, for those, um, those offerings to now be collected, to be received, and to be distributed into the places that they need to go. And Nehemiah also assures that worship will be governed by what, what God revealed to, to David and Solomon long ago. In other words, they are committed to worshiping God, not merely in the ways that please them, that entertain them, uh, but in the way that God confirms in His Word to us is pleasing, is honoring to Him. And so that's, that's what happened, right? That's, that's the story, if you will. They, they gather singers, they gather musicians, and they have this big, massive celebration of dedication. They march around these walls, making a joyful noise to the Lord. They, they worship, and they get the administration in order so that everything can begin to function. That, that's what happened. Now, before we get into the five features, the, the first thing of note that I want you to see here is that, one, this is not a normal weekly worship service that we're looking at. The, the, even in their life, this was a unique experience Uh, far more elaborate than any weekly gathering would be. And yet, it it does teach us in a general sense how we, as God's people, can and should wholeheartedly worship the Lord, worship God. And so like I I said, there's five areas that I want to focus in. And and the first area is that area of purification. We we see it twice in here, right? First in in verse 30, right? The leaders, the people, um, uh, purification. And then in verse 45, they talk about purification again. Now, we aren't told exactly what they do for purification, but, but we can infer from other passages, Exodus 19, Leviticus 16, Numbers 8, uh, that it probably involves some of the following. It probably involves sprinkling or washing of water. There's the symbolic aspect of that being purifi- uh, purification. Uh, it involved abstinence from, from sex. Uh, washing of their clothes, fasting from food, and, and the priests would have, uh, would have made animal sacrifices on, on behalf of the people, on behalf of themselves as, as, as well. The, the purification of the wall itself, uh, the gates seen in verse 30, was, was most likely taking a hyssop brand, right? A brushy kind of um, plant that they would take. And they'd take the blood from the animal sacrifices and they'd rub it all in there. And they do that thing you love to do, right, with, uh, with paintbrushes, right? And they just fling it onto the door. They would have flinged it onto the wall. Um, it's most likely, which is kind of gross to us. It sounds like the opposite of, of pure and sanitary in, in our minds, right? So I, I don't want you flinging blood on these walls. Uh, nobody wants that in here. So, so understand, though, this is absolutely uh, symbolic. It, it is pointing to their need for spiritual cleansing. You, you remember in... Uh, 
In Psalm 24, to, to the question, who can stand in God's holy place, that the psalmist there answers, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, right? Who, who can come into the presence of God but, but that one? And this is a reminder to all people in all generations, including you, including me, and, and it points to the fact that our hearts are by nature unpure. We are by nature unholy. We, we are unfit to worship the Lord God Almighty. Not, not because God is unwilling to be around sinners. Right? The incarnation of, of Jesus coming to live among sinners shows us that that is fundamentally not true. As does the fact that the Holy Spirit comes to make a home within us as, as sinners, right? In order to transform us into saints, to transform us into to holy and into the redeemed. It, it is... It is our sin that wants nothing to do with God who is holy. We, we know that we need to be pure to, to be in the presence of God then, but we often make the same mistake that the Pharisees made. Matthew 23, 25, Jesus says to them, He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. He's saying, you, you think you're so holy, you think you're so pure because you pretend to be, right? Because you've convinced other people around you that maybe, maybe you are. You're, you're like a polished Instagram feed. You, you look good from the outside. Your life seems so incredibly put together. Uh, you go to the synagogue every, every Sabbath, but, but you're still unpure. The, the only way that any of us may, may come to God is through union with Jesus, who is holy, right? It is through that union with Jesus that, that we are counted as holy. It's through that union that we, you know, that we receive by grace through faith in Christ. The, these ritual purifications that we, we see here are, are but shadows of the only true means for you to be made pure, and that's the, lamb of the, uh, or the blood of the Lamb of God, of Jesus applied to, to your body, to your soul. That, that's why, and so early in our liturgy, we have that time of confession, right? And that time of affirmation so, so that we can actually think about our sin. So we can repent of our sin and so that our, our hearts are pointed every single week, week after week, to what God has done for us, right, on the cross, what God has done for us to make us saints, to, to make us worthy to, to be here and to worship the Lord. That's the image of, of purification we see here. The other aspect of this dedication I want to focus on is music. The first thing we see is there's a variety of, of instruments here, right? The cymbals and harps, lyres. It's not a lyre, right? It's a, like a little bitty harp. Um, lyre? Man, thank you. Lyre. Why didn't you tell me this? Okay. Lyre and trumpets. It tells you about my musical ability right there. Um, what we learn here, though, is that clearly it is right to use instruments to accompany the singing of praise to God. So, so long as these instruments do not drown out the voices of, of God's people singing together, that we might, we might hear that. In that case, you know, any instrument can be, can be acceptable. Now, now, let me ask you something here, because it's been a big deal in the history of the church, recent history of the church, right, about worship style. What, what style of, of worship music or what style of music do they worship the Lord with during this dedication ceremony? Can you see it? It's not recorded for you, is it? The Lord did not preserve that information, nor does he prescribe uh, 
a particular style for us to use. There are a variety of musical styles that, that honor the Lord. That, that being said, there are certainly some styles, some songs that are more co uh, conducive for congregational singing than, than other ones. It doesn't mean you can sing absolutely anything and call it, call it worship. There is better and worse, but, but there's not one, one style that is prescribed, and that's beautiful. When you travel around the globe, you will see Christians worshiping in a variety of, of musical styles. But rather than, you know, diving into worship styles too far, I want you to learn one simple thing here. And that's that uh, God has, there has always been a, uh, a, a feature of worship among Christians, right? It has always been a focus for us as Christians. It is a, a very Christian thing to do, to sing. God's people have always written songs of adoration to the Lord in, in every generation. In fact, uh, the hymn we, we, we sang this morning when we started, right, uh, well, let me tell you this first, that the earliest recorded hymn is the Song of Moses. If it's in Exodus 15. If you never read it, go, go read it sometime. It's the earliest recorded hymn. All 150 psalms are, are songs for, for singing. And in both Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16, we are commanded to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And like I said, the church throughout history has this legacy of, of writing songs of worship to the Lord. The, the hymn we sung this morning, All Creatures of Our God and King, that was written in 1225. Right? A very, very long time ago. I'm not going to do the math today. Um, the, the tune that we sing it to was composed in 1623. Martin Luther, right, wrote, A mighty fortress is our God in, in 1527. These are hundreds of years apart. And the song that we're going to sing before the Lord's Supper after the sermon this morning was written in 2006. We, we sing joyful and, and jubilant songs of praise, and we sing somber songs of lament. We, we sing during the Lord's, uh, the Lord's Day worship. We sing during weddings, we sing it around hospital beds, we, we sing at funerals, we, we sing on all occasions. We as Christians, as God's people, we are a people of song. And so what do they actually sing this day? Uh, we don't know exactly. It's probably the Psalms, though. If I had to guess, I'd, I'd say it was one of the, the pilgrim songs that, that speak of God's people coming up into Jerusalem uh, into the temple to worship God, maybe, maybe Psalm 78 or, or 105, um, maybe Psalm 48, right? That's the one I would go with. I really had to make a guess on this. Uh, and it includes these lyrics about Jerusalem, right? That's Zion. In verse 12, it says, Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. And we will always be people of song. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. And in Revelation 5, we get this, this picture of a myriad. You know what a myriad is? It, it means a whole lot. That's what it means, right? Um, and you get this picture of a whole lot of, of angels. And of every, every creature in heaven and every creature on earth and, and under the sea. And they're all singing. They're all worshiping God. That doesn't mean that's going to be the only thing that we do for the rest of eternity, but it's going to be an aspect of what we do to sing worship to God. And music is a, is a gift of the Lord to us. It's not a natural thing, is it? 
You could go through your life without music and you'd be okay, but it is an amazing gift of the, uh, the Lord. I, I'm amazed at the way that music draws us in, how it, it moves our emotions to, to more, you know, it's, it's then more than just when we're reading words. This is the gift of God, and, and while it's enjoyable to listen to any music at all, right, there is something wonderful about theologically solid songs that, that draw our hearts in to, to think about Jesus, to think about grace, to, to just resonates with us and sticks with us. It gets stuck in your head, right? You, you ever walk out of here and you're just singing some song until some other song replaces it later, right? That we can focus on, on, on Christ and grace and, and gives us such joy and, and wonder to think about who God is and to pour out our love and gratitude to God in song and in one united voice. That is a gift of the Lord. I, I, I will tell you, I am not a musical person, right? I don't even know what a liar is. I guess that could be a good thing, depending on how you spell it. Um, but it's, it's something I'm so thankful for because it, it, it comes along and, and it just... Like the Lord has blessed us with musically gifted people and you're sitting about there and, and some of you and you don't understand what a gift it is because I love to sing, I love this, but I couldn't do it on my own and, and that's the beauty of the, the body of Christ that he gifts some for that and, it, and it's a benefit to the rest of us. Uh, the third feature of the celebration is, is giving, right? Remember I mentioned it already, but back in Nehemiah 10.39, they, they made an oath saying, we will not neglect the house of God. Right? That's an oath, something they, something they want to stand by. And in the segment beginning in verse 44 today, we, we see them actually follow through on this. Or as Raymond Brown puts it, he says, These verses present us with another aspect of authentic worship. The offering of our money as well as our time and service to the Lord's work. This joyfulness and giving is the attitude that we are called to have as Christians when we regularly give to the work of the Lord. Uh, and in 2 Corinthians 9-7, right, he, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, the fourth feature is I want to focus on, on today is, is organization. Uh, you see it again in verses 44 through 47. This is the administrative aspect, right? There are systems uh, for the people to bring money, to bring their first fruits. There are systems for uh, appointing people to oversee areas of responsibility in the, in the scheduling. When, when someone will serve in the temple, they did it musically. Even the priests, right? They, they were given, uh, you'd come two to three weeks a year to serve as, as the priests in the temple. And then someone had to actually organize that. So everyone didn't show up one week and no one showing up the next week, that kind of thing. That's what the, you know, organizing all this. In fact, that's the command uh, of David and Solomon in verse 45. It, it's, it's referencing what's recorded in 2 Chronicles 8.14, which says this. Uh, According to the ruling of David his father, Solomon appointed the divisions of the priests for their service and the Levites for their offices of praise and, and ministry. We, we still need systems and administration in the church today. Uh, offering gets counted by, by two folks at the end of the service. Pat deposits it into the bank on Monday and, and keeps up with all the records along that for your tax purposes and, and to make sure uh, everything we spend is accounted for. Uh, a few people oversee the, the schedules of the musicians and singers and set up a nursery and who, who's going to be assisting in worship that week and, and so on. Administration is not interesting, but it is necessary for the orderly, orderly worship of the Lord to occur. And we, we see that here. And the, the last feature of the celebration I want to focus on is really, really two parts. Uh, thanksgiving and, and celebration. Or you might say true, true gratitude expressed uh, and genuinely, genuine joy experience. Okay, in, in that order. 
And you think about right after all, right? Verse 27, Nehemiah summarizes what they're doing. Uh, and, and he says, the gathered to celebrate the dedication with gladness and with thanksgiving. For first, let's consider gratitude, right? Or, or thanksgiving, if you will, to God. Now, notice how often they're, 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 their giving of thanks is repeated in this passage. Not only in the opening verse that we see here, but, but we're also told in verse 31, right? There's two great choirs that are appointed. And what are they appointed for? Giving thanks. Uh, verse 40, right, as they enter the temple, they, they give thanks. Again, in 46, we're, we're told, uh, you know, going to the temple to give thanks. And, and what specifically do they even have to be thankful for? Well, think about this, right? We've been going through Nehemiah for quite a while now. They can be thankful for the divine providence of God in bringing Hanani to the citadel of Susa at the time that he actually brings him there where he shares the suffering of the Lord's people in Jerusalem with his brother, Nehemiah, who happens to be there because he's the cupbearer for the king. Right? They can be thankful that Nehemiah is the cupbearer for the king to begin with or that God gave Nehemiah this burdened heart and an actual plan for what he might do. They can thank him for, for the fact that the heart of King Artaxerxes was in the hands of God so that Nehemiah secured his permission and, and also his support to actually build these walls again. Or what about that God, you know, people were united in their desire to participate because Nehemiah on his own wasn't going to build a whole lot of wall. Or, or that Nehemiah and the people overcame opposition from enemies both without, without their group and those that were within the wall at different times. Or how about the very fact that they're here to dedicate this wall that has been completed? Thankful for that. And in an incredibly short amount of time. Or, or for the national revival that's occurring. And, and really there's so much more if you go through here and you start digging into it. Just in what's recorded, there's so much. You see, if you really want to appreciate all the ways that God has been generous and good to you in your life. You must take time to list that out. To really think about what has God done for you. Right? It's not something that we naturally do. You ask anyone, you know, how's your day going? How's your week been? And you get two answers, right? Either like it's, it's good, some like generic, they're going to tell you good no matter what's going on. Or, or we tend to focus in on here's, what ha here's the worst thing that happened. Let me tell you about it. We are so good at keeping up with things that don't go well. Anyway, I, I want you to come around, right? Uh, later today or tomorrow, I, I want you to commit to doing that, to just take a piece of paper and just write down all the things you have to be thankful for God, to God for. Things regarding your, your faith, the salvation that you have, the things regarding your, your marriage or your family or your, your friendships, things with your, your job, your education, your, your finances, your, your health. But whatever little things there are, just to start taking account of those things, um, to draw your mind towards all the goodness that God has done for us, and, and be as specific as you possibly can. You see, genuine gratitude gives life to joy in our, our lives. So some of us lack joy in the Lord because we only keep records of, of what has not gone the way that we wish it has gone. We lack joy. Your lack of joy is not going to change until you begin to focus on the goodness of God for you. And it doesn't mean bad things don't happen. It doesn't mean there's a place for that in prayer and conversation or anything. But, but make an effort to think about the goodness of God to you. And so like I, I said, giving thanks leads to joy experience. Sadly, as, as Christians, we, we often act like emotions can be or even should be severed from the worship of, of the Lord. Um... A few weeks ago, I was in, in Target, and I 
I don't know how much detail you want. I'm picking up something in the dairy section, some creamer, and I'm walking past that dessert section, the frozen dessert section, if you know what I'm talking about. And there's two college girls there in the ice cream section, and, and one of them holds up this pint of ice cream, and she said in the absolute most monotone voice ever, I don't know if I can nail this right, she said, I've had this. It is totally fire emoji. First of all, who says the word fire emoji? Like, that's not something you speak, but that's not my point here, right? Her emotion was so incredibly divorced from the words that it just stuck with me, right? How you, at least say it with excitement. That's what you just communicated. It was some sort of excitement about this. But, but often, you know, how often do you yourself, right? How many of you found yourself texting, right, the, the crying, laughing emoji to someone when you didn't even laugh a little bit? You're just like, oh, three of those. Uh, we do that, and that's probably made it all worse for us that we can communicate emotion without actually having any emotion. I mean, how often do you come in here and, and sing to God without gratitude, without real joy to the Lord going on? You just, oh, these are the words, I'll say them, right? I, I mean, we as Reformed Christians, we have this reputation that I can't stand. You ever heard the phrase, the, the frozen chosen? And sometimes we, we embrace that like, oh, we have no emotion. Um, listen, you cannot deeply, you cannot seriously understand the doctrines of grace. You can't seriously really understand the, 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 just, the unmerited sovereign grace and mercy of God to you in the gospel. And yet go through worship all the time unaffected by the Lord. Unaffected by that. So void of any heartfelt gratitude or, or, or joy. I'm not saying you're not a believer. I'm saying there's something. You're not understanding what God's done for you in that moment if you are doing that. Yes, there is a place for lamenting in worship. Don't, don't hear this any other way, right? The Psalms are, are full of lamenting, and lamenting is good at, at times, right? Uh, but even lamenting comes with our emotions intact. And, and when, when properly done, right, even lamenting, right, there is a joy in the Lord, even in the midst of that deep sorrow of loss or whatever it might be. Don't, don't lose your emotions in, in, in worship in the Lord, right? I, I tell you all the time, don't trust your heart. Don't make big decisions based on that kind of thing. But, but don't, don't divorce yourself from emotions. The, the Lord, right, is a... We're driven to, to worship the Lord, to light ourselves in the Lord, right? Now, now, now look with your eyes at verse 43. This is a pretty great verse. They're all great, right? All right. Um, five times here we are told of their rejoicing or, or their joy. Listen for it as I read it. Uh, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. Uh, the women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem, joy, there it is, uh, was heard far away. Did you notice, first of all, right, that God's sovereign hand is in their rejoicing? God had made them rejoice with great joy. Like, that is a work of the Lord, a gift of the Lord to them. God is the, the absolute source of their joy. And, and still in verse 43, let, let's consider that line. The joy in Jerusalem was heard far away. That blows my mind. Somebody outside the city, like, they're, they're marching around this thing a little bigger than City Park down there, and they're so loud praising the Lord that people far away are like, we hear something crazy going on over there in Jerusalem. Their, their joy is so loud. What a, what a testimony to anyone in the region, right, that their God is great and mighty and good. I mean, I, I read that and I, I begin to wonder, right, do you, do you think, think non-Christians in our culture hear the joy of Christians today? 
Like, look at the, they're so joyful. Right? We, we kind of wonder, how do, they, how do they critique us? We know they don't like a lot of our values. They don't like a lot of things that Scripture teaches. Right? But do they look at us and like, they're weird, but they're really joyful. Is that even part of it? Or, or do they hear our complaints and our, our anger, our frustrations at the way things are? I mean, sure, the media doesn't help us one bit at all, but, but what about just you? Do, do people hear your, your joy? I don't mean, you know, Adam's going to break out his trumpet and go marching down the street, although that's certainly an option. Um, but, but, but they hear your joy, right? If they scanned your, your social media or read through your text messages or overheard your conversations, would, would they hear more joy in the Lord or more grumbling? Focus on the goodness of God. We have so much to be grateful for that we just miss out on. So seek to be grateful. Learn to rejoice in God. And, and, and our rejoicing in the Lord ought to find its richest expression in these, these corporate times of, of worship together. I'm not saying you're going to walk in here and just be totally engaged in worship every week. There, there is work to be done, right? I mean, that you come in here ready to worship the Lord. You prepare your heart for that. The last thing today is this, and in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is speaking about how surprised he is regarding just the extreme generosity of these Christians in, in Macedonia, right? They collected a bunch of money and they sent it on with the, the missionaries to, to, uh, with, with, to Paul and them, right? And he's just shocked by it, and he's shocked because they're very poor. Didn't expect very poor people to be, to be so generous. And, and Paul describes the, the Macedonians and their, and their generosity by saying this in 2 Corinthians uh, 8 5. He says, They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord. You, you hear the language of dedication there, that their life is dedicated to God. And so I want to I want to leave you with a, a question today. It's it's this: Have you dedicated yourself to the Lord? Like is that an act of thought in your mind? Have you have you given yourself your your resources your your life to the purposes of God? It's just a question. Have you dedicated yourself to the Lord? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being so merciful to us. We, we ask that you will give us hearts of great joy. Oh, Holy Spirit, help us to remember the, the mercy of God in our lives. Help us to serve willingly, willingly. Remind us always of the great rebuilding that you have done in our hearts, restoring us into a relationship with you that we are not worthy or deserving of. And please give us great joy as we find rest in all that Christ has done for us on the cross. And may that joy pour out of us in song and singing that we might praise you. Even now as we come to sing in a moment, Lord, that we might praise you for all that you are and all that you've done for us. And we ask that it not go through the motions, but that you draw our hearts into this. That you'd be honored wholly by the way we worship you. And this we, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.